Once upon a time, in a faraway land. What are fairy stories? The strange and wondrous place where nothing is as it seems. Magic mirror on the wall. Who is the fairest? Fairy is a perilous land. Before she found herself falling down what seemed to be a very deep well. It is the place you visit in your dreams. A world of myth and magic. When the clock began to chime midnight, a mysterious voice began calling to the sad princess. She pricked her finger with her needle. Three drops of blood fell on the In a trance, she followed the haunting sound of a winding tree. stairway to the top of the you tower. You can read along with me in your book. Well met witches, welcome to the Storybook Podcast, Sacred Lore of Witchcraft. We're here today to dive deep. That'll just stay in. We're here today to dive deep into the meanings of our first tale, Hansel and Gretel. And I have a panel of witches and magicians from various backgrounds that I'd like to introduce to you now. We have Reverend Laura Gonzalez, a spiritual community healer, priestess, and minister. Laura co-edits the e-zine El Caldero, is the founder of Boletín Paganos, a meeting place for Spanish-speaking pagans, has presented workshops at events such as the Parliament of World's Religions, multiple pagan pride days in multiple cities, Circle Sanctuary, and Pagan Spirit Gathering. Laura Gonzalez is also a pop popular podcaster and producer of her own shows, Lunatic Mondays and Paganos del Mundo, on Circle Sanctuary Network Podcasts. Say hi, Laura. Hi. <laughs> um, what uh, what type of witchcraft do you practice? Well, uh, first of all, thank you for having me. I'm very happy to be here and very excited. I practice, basically, I'm a, I'm a bruja, so I practice mostly Mexican folk magic. Um, I'm also a priestess of the goddess. I'm a fem feminist witch, and I'm um, earth-based, basically, folk magician. And I mix a little bit of the indigenous practices of healing from uh, my ancestors in Mexico. So, you know, a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B, and that makes it a very unique and very, you know, different from run-of-the-mill paganism, I guess. Um, but it's mostly earth-based. Thank you. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you for being here. Um, as the weathered Wiseman, Dave is a theology studies graduate and an ordained minister. Then his true calling brought him home to his roots and to embrace the magical arts. With over 30 years devoted to his craft, he's wise in the ways of animal magic, emotional and spiritual healing, with a special focus on ma the masculine spirit. Um, Dave, why don't you tell us more about what you offer and what type of witchcraft you practice? Um, I work with a lot of intuitive and healing magic. Um, especially like you said with the masculine spirit um it's key to get that toxic masculinity out of the way for uh the male spirit and to uh allow the man to heal to to embrace more of who he is what he is um i do work um a lot of intuitive healing um, as far as just 
working with men and women to um, find their way out of fear, to find their way out of um, a lot of shadow work, so to speak. Um, my background is a lot of intellectual folk magic um, and some trad craft, but um, I guess you'd say I'm more excited than anything. Was that more psychic than anything? Eclectic. Oh, trust me. More intuitive than me on that one. <laughs> okay. All right. And uh, Kamian, I invited Kamian especially for this episode because I think we're going to be diving into some subjects that he has specialties in. Uh, he's a practitioner for over 40 years, utilizing imagination and wit to weave magic from the foundations of Welsh traditional craft, Kabbalah, and a bit of chaos thrown in. Kamian has developed his own magical philosophy and public classes, which focus on manifesting love, joy, and bliss as projections of their perfect desire and will. Hi, Kamian. Do you want to tell us anything else about yourself? Hi, Aaron. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, I, too, am a, a ordained Earth tradition. Uh, I was one of the founders of the Brotherhood of the Phoenix, so I do practice core spirituality and its importance. Uh, as you said, I structure my magic around uh, uh, my traditional witchcraft, Welsh witchcraft, uh, so in that sense of nature, but I do incorporate uh, shamanic and ceremonial techniques to weave my magic, uh, always looking to um, go down to the base ontological levels of reality and pull that up to manifest. I'm also a Luciferian in the sense of uh, the bringing of the first light, and that that projects into the ontological place as well. I look forward to exploring Hansel and Gretel tonight. Thank you. Nice. So I'm uh, I'm Frater Aaron. I'm today a magician in a kitchen. I thought since we are discussing Hansel and Gretel, I, Gretel, I might as well uh, start baking some bread that I've been putting off for a couple nights. Um, I uh, was uh, trained through the Mystery School of the Fellowship of the Phoenix, uh, practiced traditional witchcraft and ceremonial grimoric magic. And in this in this setting, I'm your storyteller. Um, today, we are discussing Hansel and Gretel. If any of you are need a refresh on the tale or want to catch up on it, we are not going to tell the tale um, in this episode, but the previous episode before this does have a version of Hansel and Gretel that you can listen to. So stop, go back, listen, and then come back and join us. Um, a quick background on Hansel and Gretel. It was compiled by the Brothers Grimm in the early 1800s. Specifically, this one they received from Henriette Dorothy Wilde, who eventually married Wilhelm Grimm. Um, I love the idea of her casting her little love spell through through the various fairy tales that she was telling him during their collection process. Um, they attributed it to a traditional tale told in various forms around the area of Hessen. Um, it likely does have roots in the historic actual famines that were common in Europe throughout the 1300s. There was a lot of other blights that happened in Europe uh, after that, so it can have a lot of influences, but um, there was supposed to be widespread, uh, from what I've read, there was supposed to be widespread famine in the 1300s that did cause families to turn on themselves, um, the old to willingly starve themselves to leave food for younger people, children abandoned, etc. Um, previous interpretations have focused on various aspects of the tale. So um, Marie-Louise von Franz talked about, talked about the tale as 
embodying fear of abandonment into the children's growing in, the children growing into independence. Um, Bruno Bettelheim focused on the act of killing the witch and the othering of the mother as a healthy outlet for a child to express their aggression. And Jack Sipes gives more a social economic interpretation um, that his work in general talks about the social economic uh, and versus commercial. And I think he actually calls it the, the, um, the, he doesn't call it capitalist. I want to say he calls it the commercial industry or something that that can hijack tales. But anyways, Jack Zipes takes a social economic view of the tale with the lower class um, revolting against a bourgeois middle class, which would be represented by the witch. Um, I actually think all of these are useful to us in our craft or could be useful to us in our craft. And so while we won't focus on those because we're not focusing specifically on literal or psychological interpretations, um, we probably will refer back to those in our discussion. Um, some quick talks before we start on, on our deciphering. Um, fairy tales are not allegorical. I follow like um, J.R.R. Tolkien's idea that what makes these fairy stories so intriguing and so renowned is that they can't be simply explained as a simple allegory. Because of that, there isn't one, there isn't one interpretation that can capture all aspects of the tale. Um, along with that, any of our interpretations can be correct in certain aspects. Um, I don't expect us to argue about about you know which interpretation is right, but just pointing out different ways that we can view aspects of this tale. Um, with that said, did anyone have any initial initial things that jumped out of this tale that they want to get into right away? Dun, dun, dun. I have to say, and I warn you that I was going to talk about this anecdote. Um, I didn't grow up in the United States. I grew up in Mexico. So a lot of these tales, I, don't, I just don't know them, was not exposed to them. And I've seen the movie. Hansel and Gretel, right? And then, but I haven't, no, I haven't seen the movie yet when Aaron invited me to a play. And I was in awe that the children burned the witch. Uh, being a witch myself, I was like, oh, how dare you? But then uh, when I listened to the previous show, Aaron, the beginning of it, I was like, what? The mom? wants to get rid of the kids how is that even possible um so that stood out to me because that's that was not part of the play that we saw um that was a different version so that was like wow the how deep can we go into that just that very aspect of the mom and then of course my interpretation is like the mom is the witch the witch is the mom that's why the mom is there because the mama was a witch uh, who was going to end up eating her own children and how can that be viewed as the earth itself. I saw the tale very much as a kind of like a warning about in our times what is happening to the earth and how the mother is starting to eat us up. So, you know, and then of course, 
because I'm a feminist, I thought like how misogynistic that is the mom that, you know, and the daddy is the hero and all that. Um, but yeah, that that re that certainly stood out for me that the mom is the one that is trying to get rid of them, not once, but twice. That's a great point about um, about the sexism or at least perceived sexism in this story, which which we do need to address. So I'm glad you brought that up. And also because the way the tale is written and because of the um, times that we're going to be talking about, I'm going to use very specifically gendered language, but I don't consider any of the genders, even in the tale, necessarily to mean um, to mean biological sex, right? We can interpret these in many ways, even using the very specific um, gender language. Well, also, Aaron, this, uh, going along with what Laura was saying, um, coming from a theological standpoint, it makes sense that they would try to villainize the female. If you look at the church at the time, the church was very masculine centric. They, they, um, and if you look at the, the father, the father was the kind hearted, the loving one. The mother was not. Mm -hmm. Was the one who the mother undermined his authority. Had kids taken out into the forest. The father was the one that welcomed them back after the witch's kid and the witch represents that evil that magic so here we have very church-centered thought processes let's make the, the strong female let's make her evil but let's make let's make this meek loving father who embraces the children at the end that was very much that was something that stood out to me also Laura. i mean just very strongly and we're going to be surprised as we go into our into our interpretations of it does the female uh end up being demonized in the story or is that only you know only one layer of meaning um came in you were i, I saw you moving around did you want to jump in sure so you know, when you first approached me with this project, I, I first asked, is there, was there a, a, a style before Graham, right? Or before, because when you first read it, it does per, be perceived as Christianized. Mm -hmm. But if if you keep pushing past, um, you know, at least in the Welsh tradition, uh, it's the female form of the goddess that directly holds the tight duality of compute, complete beauty and complete decay, de decay and destruction. Uh, and then this is how you, you know, we led into a discussion of Kabbalah. It's in the realm of Bina, the great mother, where you have the Virgin Mary, the, you know, immaculate uh, prostitute, but then also Kalima, the destroyer. Uh, and of course, in this tale, we see Kalima <laughs> through and through and all the sweetness. Uh, and so, I, I, you know, I think that will be a, a great component of our, of our discussion. But I, I, I do think the symbology is a, arises above the perceived Christian theology that might be a present at the time of its writing. Yes, which we'll go into when we argue further the case for fairy tales. They, they've been completely uh, Christianized and they were written in a patriarchal society, but perhaps they do show us glimpses of earlier traditions that we can uncover in our discussion. Yeah, Laura. 
And also, um, I, I love that this is a panel because we're all bouncing so beautifully ideas. That the femininity perceived as very stereotypically the doting mother, the loving mother, the mother that would never have an emotion that is not that of nurturing when in reality, women and femme, again, you already did a disclaimer of gender, um, femininity is not only that. Femininity mm -hmm. has all of these dim dimensions and rifle anger is one of them and survival is human. So if I need to eat, I need to eat you know and it, it doesn't matter what's between my legs or how am i perceived by society i'm still gonna eat you know so i i love that part of it that dimension of showing that yeah the, the there's evilness on femininity there is righteous indignation there is righteous anger and to be irate for injustices so you know there's so many dimensions to the tale obviously I grew up with the story and in my mind growing up, the mother and the witch were the same because the children get back and the mother's dead. Going back to the tale now as an adult and reflecting that there is a literal version of the tale too, where this family was starving, I hear it and I go, oh, she was right. And she starved to death, you know, like it was too late and it's, it's chilling really. Um, let's, uh, let's jump into, uh, a first way, uh, a specific way of looking at the tale. And I thought of talking about Hansel and Gretel. Um, I chose it for our first episode one, because I have history with it, with Laura. Um, but two, because I thought it was a great, uh, a great analogy for our first discussion as a path into fairy and following Hansel and Gretel as our guides. Um, and so with this idea of an inaugural discussion, I'd like to talk about it as the idea of initiation and specifically a magical or a traditional witchcraft initiation. With that, we have these forces that while they may not be comforting are irrefutable, they're demanding and they're compelling and they put us in a situation that maybe we're not ready. We, we may not perceive we're ready for it, but it turns out we are. We can we can look at the parents, especially the mother, in this in this way, and especially as like the the witch mother or witch queen and witch father, and that she can be a harsh and compelling force. Um, I've known uh, multiple colleagues who have either completed or attempted a night in the wilderness as part of their initiation process. And we see that, again, very literally in this case. And then not only are they in the wild, but because they are hungry, they go through a period of, a period of fasting. So now, um, which of course is, is traditional, uh, traditional to many cultures um, and ordeals. So they've gone through this period of fasting of time alone in the wilderness, surrounded by nature. And then they come to a true ordeal, a true uh, time of crisis and trial. And they do make it out the other side. And not only do they make it out the other side alive, but now they have gifts, which in the tale, some of them are called um, like precious stones and pearls. 
um, pearls, another symbol that is often used both in a spiritual aspect or magical aspect and a literal, but also magical. Um, when I told the tale, I included an additional ending that was published in later versions uh, by the Brothers Grimm, where there's an episode of Gretel commanding a duck to carry them across a bottle body of water. And I wanted to include that, even though I was using an earlier version of the tale, because it gives us even more idea of the gifts that they've received through their ordeal in the witch's cottage. Now, Gretel has taken on magical ability as well, symbolized in this case by the language of birds or connection to nature. Um, what do you guys think about any of those ideas? The thought of the pearls hit me strongly at the end. Because pearls are always, always associated with wisdom. Yeah. So here we have Gretel grabbing up wisdom. She's she's pulled in this wisdom as a result of what she's had to go through. Um, you hear Hansel. I don't remember hearing pearls specifically in relation to him. Just remember the jewels. Mm -hmm. Gretel specifically, you heard pearls. So to me, for her to have gone through this process and not only gain power, but she's also gained wisdom. I I cannot escape the the relationship within between the mother and the daughter, right? Uh -huh. women feminine feminine divine um there is no more complicated relationship than that of the mother and a daughter uh mothers and and their boys are not as complicated because there is not a dimension of competition and with mothers and daughters there is that dimension of competition so by when I was hearing you narrate so beautifully the tale, Aaron, I was thinking, um, of course, they put the boy behind the cage, but then it's the girl that has to cook for him and clean for him. And I started thinking, you know, immediately, like, of course, she has to do the labor, you know, while he's just being fed. But then it hit me like, but that's how she learned. She got all the wisdom from the witch, so much so that she ends up tricking the witch into getting into the oven you know because when we saw it on the play she just pushes her but when you narrate it she puts her on the plank and then puts her in, in the oven right and basically is Gretel who saves all of them her brother and her dad because when she comes back now she takes this aspect of now I'm the mom Yes. So I'm the, I'm the better version of my mom, right? And also, of course, I couldn't not listen the fact of the, the cauldron, you know? You put the cauldron there with the water. You are the one in charge of the cauldron. So it's all about this relationship that uh, a lot of us women and, and femme uh, have to go through this kind of like sort of rite of passage of, I love my mom, but there is this intrinsic competition with mom. And at the end, I have to be my own mom, you know, because the version of mom that is my mom is no mother in me well anymore. So 
again, you know, there's a lot of depth into that, the, the gifts that are given. And the most resourceful uh, character on the tale is the one that speaks less, but is more effective, you know, like she got it sold. And even when the dog comes on the second version, she's the one that says, no, 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 it's okay. Come on, let's, let's both do it. So like, I just love it. <laughs> Hearing your take on that, that even makes me notice more in the tale too. Um, she's she's clever, Gretel, and she's powerful, it turns out, but she tricks the witch by playing dumb, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like, uh, excuse the expression, but like a feminine wild, you know, or using stereotypes, you know, for her advantage. And, and fitting in on the narrative of gender, you know, because we are taught to play dumb yeah. in life. You know, to be quiet, to be submissive, to be, you know, this. So to always kind of like hide your human qualities that are not exclusive just to women. But that is why it's so surprising when one of us open our mouth and whoa, like all wisdom comes out because we're not, society does not want that to happen. So, you know, we're quiet until we don't have to be quiet. With the idea that she's imparted by her higher self to take those actions. And um, I, and I wanna remind that she's able to be brought in that calm state because who was calm at first? Hansel was, right? Uh, and so the one thing that, that took me from a witch's perspective is, you know, witches, we don't really have a concept of faith. You know, we, we basically work to have communion with uh reality about us right and 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 de facto being in that attunement we essentially create our own luck and so hansel listening you know and not freaking out um and taking notice of his communication with the moon and the pebbles and so he's able to set the path the first time and even though then you know he he works with the tools he's got which is the breadcrumbs um that's when fate, the universe, however way, uh, takes them to the next step, engages the full-on initiation of three days, you know, three days in the woods before they find the witches, and then a lunar cycle, you know, being captured by the by the um, by the witch, uh, and that's you know, it's this alchemy that's occurring between them um, that we kind of we've talked about that it's very kabbalistic. And, and when I say that, and Hermetic Kabbalah, let me clarify, it's Hermetic Kabbalah. Uh, and why, why that system always attracted me is it's essentially, you know, everything in the known universe, you can put into 10 bins and you can transmute it between any of those bins, right? And um, and you see this, this alchemy of the princess that's in the tarot cards and the prince, and then being re-exalted up to their kingship through their trials and, trials and initiation. So in that sense, you know, it's, this is a beautiful story. Since we're since we're jumping we're jumping onto that, let's go ahead and uh, skip to um, a hermetic kabbalistic interpretation of the story. And one one aspect of that is that we can view Hansel and Gretel both as two separate people and specifically gendered people, um, and that I think that does have um, symbolism with. Her, Kabbalistic tradition, but we can also view them as two aspects of one individual. 
When we look at the tale through the perspective of the Hermetic Kabbalah, we see some surprising correspondences with the symbols of traditional witchcraft. We begin with the mother and father, which to me embody the primal forces of severity and mercy, the supernal forces of the Kabbalah. When we look at these forces Kabbalistically, what's great is that doesn't put a positive or negative emphasis on either pole. They both have their beautiful and necessary functions, just as the parents have important entertainment and plot functions of the story. And as we discussed with the traditional witch mother and witch father, our forces can be cruel and rewarding and can force us to repeat lessons until they are learned. Hansel and Gretel can be seen as the next emanation or evolution of these supernal forces. So the parental forces put Hansel and Gretel on the path. And the path, as we see, goes through the unknown, down through the center of the Tree of Life. We are told that they live sharp at the edge of the forest or at the precipice of the unknown, the Kabbalistic abyss. And when they embark, the sun is shining on the chimney or on the 25th path, from Tipereth, the beauty of the sun, down. And then they must wait for the light of the moon to guide them down the 32nd path from Yesod towards Malkut, the world of mixed matter. And this is where they encounter the witch. As I've said, these stories are not simple allegories, so there may not be a simple one-to-one -one equation for the witch, but I see in her aspects of nature, as well as the hermetic demiurge, uh, the sub-creator and controller of the material world, but who is not the original source or the ultimate creatrix. I find it interesting that her house is made of processed or mixed goods, bread and cake and refined sugar. There are no prime elements, no completely essential substances, because these all need to be crafted and created. In the Hermetic Asclepius text, we are told that the Logos, or spirit of the Creator, which is also the original human, came to see the world and saw nature, and they fell in love. And nature surrounded and enveloped the spirit and matter, or imprisoned and fattened Hansel with food, until Gretel, preparing the cauldron of Hermes, a cauldron of transmutation and alchemy, empowers Hansel, and they can choose to return to their place of origin, if they so choose. And now the children have the task of going back up the path to the place of origination, or in patriarchal, maybe Kabbalistic terms, like the house of the father, where they return. Now the pillar of severity can be taken over by Gretel, because now she's the, she's the feminine or again, and maybe a patriarchal version, like the redeemed woman, <laughs> but, but, um, uh, Kavia, do you have any other thoughts about, about the Kabbalistic interpretation of this tale? I think in some ways you can flip it where actually the witch's house maybe be in, in, uh, Hasad, right. As in the, yes, it's the royal father, but it's also the balancing and ordering of that. Right. And that's where okay. they're undergoing, um, their transition across the abyss of having to deal with uh with managing the cauldron can you know basically destroying the witch so that she can take her place in the throne and then giving hansel uh his right to the path of the father um uh yeah so i yeah i don't i i'm not nothing's popping out beyond what you said uh 
Yeah. Anyone else? What I what I do like about about this idea too is that yes, we see that through the first half of the story, we have Hansel being sort of a, a pragmatic and, and and logical uh, force, and then and then in the second half of the tale, he's imprisoned. You know, uh, he he can't really do anything. But now Gretel has all the power, and we see she's she's capable, um, and. I get the idea sort of there's specific uh, functions or times for various energies, whether that be literal masculine, feminine, or aspects of a, of a person's own persona, psyche, magic. Um, Kabbalist, you know, it, it, in, in the Jewish Kabbalah, what was it? Men only over 40 could study married men only over 40. But one of the excuses given was, women actually naturally had the connection that these men had to work so hard to try to bridge. Um, and we see that with Gretel in this aspect, but I do believe there's, it's, it's not necessarily literal, literal gender being discussed in this tale, um, as opposed to parts of our actual gifts as humans. Um, so that's why, so like, the one way I approach to to remove ourselves from gender in Kabbalah is to look at the expansion. It's just pure expansion and pure contraction, right? Mm -hmm. um, so you have the house of the all, all father is expansion because he's splooching everywhere, <laughs> and you have the um, the the pillar of the mother, the house of the mother is uh, severity constricting because catching all and but transmute and transmuting it into birthing, right? Um, and it's perceived from severity from us all the way down here, but in, but it's actually such a contraction that it, it's the actions of the mother that expresses the perfection of the creation, because there's nothing more, nothing less is allowed. Exactly what is needed is what's provided, right? Um, you know, Gretel, she's processing the guilt of having to, to create the boiling pot that's eventually going to cook his mom or cook his, cook his, cook his, uh, cook her brother. God, see, I can't even get the gender straight right now. Um, but at the same time, at the point she needs it, she's given that sign of wisdom say, Hey, push her in, lock the door. Boom. And she gets to move forward. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's, that's one way that I, and we can see that then as, as his, um, you know, Hansel's, Hansel's expansing their, their journey. Uh, right to get her to the point where then she has to do the purifying and so that's again that returns us back of well they're like Jim and I they're two people but those they're the single piece right they're tied together so I think that I think that symbolism definitely works interpretation works and like you were saying just now you know it's it's exactly like with the earth you know there's no more there's no less it's it's just it's what needs to happen, you know? Because how how do they say what is chaos for the spider? Something like that. I don't I don't know the saying correctly, but you know, life could be very happy when you're a mouse until you find a snake, and then life is no more. And such is nature, you know. And we humans like so much to separate ourselves from the magic of nature you know, that we see ourselves so much above it that we don't see that we're part of it. 
and then we don't care about our health or we don't care about the cycles of nature. We don't care about the planet. I don't want to go into my activism, but you know, it has a lot to do with that, uh, the precious balance of nature, you know? And like you say, that expansion and contraction and when it's to leave with live and when it's to die, in this case, the witch needs to die. And I'm still, not, I'm still salty about the witch dying, but. <laughs> in the in the tale, the first line of the tale is sharp by the edge of a forest, or in some translations, hard by the edge of the forest. And so not only do we have these supernal uh, parents who are compelling forces and, and such big examples, like I mentioned earlier, perhaps severity and mercy, but they're at the precipice. So in 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 literal and and even like witchcraft folklore, they're at the border of they're at the border of the unknown forest where there is danger, and they're they're far away from the community. Uh, we saw this like in the movie The Witch. You know, they get they get sent out towards the woods, and and all uh, literal hell breaks loose. Maybe, um, but we can also see that again in a in a hermetic take on the Kabbalah where they're right there at the edge of the abyss and they're so ready to make that fall into working towards creation and working towards matter and working coming into knowledge which is something that's been coming up a lot this idea of wisdom and gifts of wisdom and power and that abyss is also the tree of knowledge and i think that's what you know that's what we're trying to do with this is that what if we were to take this as this is our this is our sacred text and that whole idea at least for a witch is you never, once you're initiated, you never disconnect from the nature. You're always, you're always trying to be attuned. You're always trying to manifest your own luck. Um, you're always walking with your gods, always walking with your spirits. And no matter how scared you may be. Right. You know, because you might be so, so scared, but that drive, in this case, the boy, he's like, no, 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 we have to keep going. You might be scared, but keep moving. Bethany of Fear from Frank Herbert. <laughs> Dune. Well, and that was one thing that struck me struck me really strongly about the story too is Hansel at the beginning, the uh, presence of mind to carry the stones or breadcrumbs. But then again, when he was imprisoned, the thing that struck me, and coming from a farm, he was imprisoned behind chicken wire. Chicken wire is not strong. <laughs> All it takes is one good push and you're out. So there's well, he was malnourished. Exactly. Exactly. But the thing is, he was also so much a part of Gretel, and Gretel so much a part of him that he did not want to leave that situation. It would have been easy for him to push through that wire and run off. But because Gretel was a part of him and he was a part of her. They needed to do this together. Yeah, because if he didn't buy the time sticking the the bone, mm -hmm. you know, he needed to buy the time so she could figure out a way for them. Right. To exactly. I think um and this is a this is an aspect where non-magical interpretation can help us as magicians and wizards and witches. Um 
because this story can be a call to activism, going back to how you were just getting towards it, uh, uh, Laura, and not only versus nature. Uh, we have a, a story here about children literally be, being put in cages and Gretel being the one to help free them. And I, I yeah, I hope I'm not bringing up too, uh, too uh, intense a subject, but I know this is, I know this is a big one for you, Laura. Um, and what's what's interesting is like Jack Zipes interpretation of it, he sees the poor, the hungry, storming the witch's house, killing her, you know, and then realizing that, yeah, she has been hoarding the wealth and and taking it. Um, I'm not, you know, I'm not necessarily calling for a revolution, but I say that we can use this one as inspiration um, or a spark of motivation, or even as what would be known as a narrative charm in our in our activist magic. Absolutely. And of course, my reaction is strong because I so part of there was so many things that I got my wheels going with this tale. I I am a child, I live a child-free life. I don't have kids, so I never want it. I was very fortunate to be very conscious that I never wanted children, right? And so I don't have any. I have a grandson by love, but this not biologically. Um, and my first thought, because we are trained to to victim blame, my first thought with the mom was like, well, if you are hungry, why you have kids? You know, because immediately we are conditioned to victim blame. And I'm sure she was, it wasn't her fault that they were in famine, right? So now we move this to the reality. And those women that travel however many hundred miles to make it to the promised land of the United States to get their children ripped away from their arms and then put in cages. You know, how terrible it is that you have to escape your land, your love, your, your family, and then you get to the promised land just to get, to get yet a more destructive challenge and I know people are gonna probably hate me for this, uh, by the very forces that cause the harm, you know? Because you, unless you live with your head under the sand, you know that United States is a third world country because colonizing um, mentality. So yeah, it's, it's really important. And I wrote a piece, uh, precisely what was published in that book with, uh, the Gorgon's Path to Magic um, is about the kids will not forgive. And it's about all the things that we have been doing, uh, putting them in cages, putting them through the pandemic without caring for them, uh, and, and just bad judgment with raising children. They're not going to be children forever. They're going to grow up eventually. And they're going to put the witches of the world in the oven. And uh, I don't mean to make that allegory to other cultures that I'm just gonna leave that blank. Um, but you know, like the quintessential witch in the oven will be like the children finding justice. And we are seeing it now with, with chi children that have privilege and access, uh, the Gen Z children uh, that now they're, they're growing up a little bit more, but you know, in the 2016, 17, 18, 
uh, even 2020, they have done amazing things on the internet and sabotage the dictatorships of the world and whatnot. So the children are not gonna be children forever. And if we don't get our act together as adults, uh, we're gonna be the witch. So, you know, we, we have to be smart. And also uh, another part of the tale that I, you know, uh, overpopulation, overpopulation wow. of what we're doing to the planet, you know, because famine is not new. And now we are even more aware of famine and scarcity, of perceived scarcity, you know, because there is not scarcity. What happens is it's been hoarded by those in power and reproductive rights and overpopulation and cultural hardening and famine, it's all connected. Because what is happening, we haven't learned. What happens on the other side of the planet is gonna affect us, you know? So yeah, if I keep talking, we're gonna be here for three hours. So, you know, I'm just like throwing those breadcrumbs for but I, to follow. I think that pathway does allude to the subtle difference of if, if one were to have a tradition that's using Hansel and Gretel to teach lessons versus another tradition that teaches about you're lost in the desert because somebody hit the rock because they were pissed off about something else. And because out of fear and judgment of something that's removed from you, you blame that and you blame the justification. You don't take the action of creating your own luck, creating your own manifestation uh, that Hansel and Gretel teaches us. And creating luck, uh, I believe that even goes back to an important aspect of Norse magic. That's not a path I follow, but uh, from what I understand, that's, you know, that is a big aspect of Northern witchcraft. I have a question. Uh, how... How does a mother from El Salvador who is escaping violence from her country run in towards the United States to try to make a better life? How can she create luck? Well, this <laughs> why do I have a feeling you're setting a trap? <laughs> but uh, uh, in the sense of the luck that I'm talking about is being so aware of reading the intuition, you know, and I, and I can't speak. I mean, yes, it's a, it's, that is a, I really feel like I just got entrapped, but it, it's, it's really uh, making the most of every moment. And I know she's trying to do that. Obviously that's why she's right. So, you know, in the witchy sense, she knows that when to step left versus step right, because, you know, to, to be seen at whatever, um, you know, of course that's the extreme, but, uh, that's in my sense of, of knowing like when to move forward, when not to move forward. Right. Um, because, um, our deepest intuition is, 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 is speaking to them. Right. Not saying it's, yeah, it's, it's a terrible situation and what the true solution is, um, is, is massive. So my thought, rather than creating luck, is it creating wisdom? Is it, is it helping her to learn and to think her way, think on her feet, thinking ways 
deal with what's being handed to them. Well, so in, in, I mean, if you really push, that's what I'm saying. So, mm -hmm. so in that sense of luck is being at the moment, exactly being in tune with the fates and knowing, knowing, um, you know, what has to give and what has to take because of, right. of you feeling the twine of perfection of creation. Um, and, and in the unfortunate case, um, having the wisdom and being able to manage the difficult situation of the worst case scenarios and being able to move forward. Yeah, we're looking at this from an aspect of what is this telling us as witches? And um, I, I think that's an important aspect to keep in mind. And even um, I am very lucky. I have Laura always reminding me that you're a powerful magician because I can get caught up in life and 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 feel small or feel like, oh, I just don't know what to do about this, you know? And in my mind, that's it right there. Um, the first step in in leading a powerful magical life is being able to stop and recognize your own consciousness and being able to be aware. And I, I realize there's a hierarchy of needs and especially including safety, but like we have the, um, the example of like a Viktor Frankl or somebody who realized that the only place that he had control was in his own mind. And when you, when you can get there, especially us as, as witches, then you get to that step where Camian's going of, okay, and now like, if, if I'm here, I can be in synchronicity. And, but it, that's not easy, you know, that's not easy. And there's so many other factors at play. And I fully appreciate that I'm making these statements from a person that that's very privileged. And so you're muted, Laura. Oh yeah, I we lost you, Laura. <laughs> Sorry, I'm so used to mute myself. I say, yeah, that's that's also uh, it's one of the very many layers of of magic and spirituality, right? Um, and 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 needs to be said, having privilege does not make anybody a bad person because you didn't choose that privilege. What you can do with that privilege is what makes you a better person, right? So in, in my opinion, humbly right now, answering that question that I ask you to the best of your ability is utilizing that privilege to help and to transform and to magically uh, bring awareness of things, you know? Because not everybody, in, in my opinion, in my experience, I don't, I'm, I'm a Latino person, I'm a Mexican uh, national, I don't know what it's like to live in Salvador. And I know they're escaping, right? And I cannot look at a person on the eyes from a Salvador and say, create your own reality, money space, your own faith, and right. you know, create your own magic, because they're too busy trying to not get killed. Right. You know? So I appreciate that very much that you um say, you know, like magically we affect as many changes as we can with the tools that we have and is to be present and in the moment and and recognizing that that power and like i always say you're right you're a witch act like one you know like bring that power to the table on unapologetically <laughs> that goes along with what my mentor used to tell me be the witch that you are <laughs> 
I mean, so many times it, we've made the craft into witchcraft. Oh, I wish this would happen. We, we're witches. We have to affect change. There's a good analogy of uh, some of what we're talking about in the story and about being able to consciously use your gifts and your mentality um, that Kamian pointed out to me earlier, but there's a spot in the story where the children, they're left in the woods, they come home, the father's happy, the mother pretends to be happy, but secretly she's mad. And she tells the father again, once again, let's abandon the children in the woods. And his and his justification for going along with it the second time is, well, I said, okay, the first time. So now I have to say, okay, again. And I understood this sort of, uh, again, Kabbalistically as once you create this energy path, now that's created. Energy flows that way, right? But if we're going to talk about it from the, from the topic that we're discussing right now, he's not being aware of his power in the moment, at least in his own conscious ability to make a choice. And sometimes there's no good choices, but there is a choice, you know, like, again, that's, that's the one thing we have is, is our mind and, and that might not get us out of all the predicaments, but it's the only thing we can account for. Well, and that's one area that I work with as far as the sacred masculine. It's okay to change your mind. It's okay to do something differently than you were originally taught. You don't have to follow the same path that's been laid out before you centuries, decades. Just make the change. Do something. You're, like I said, be the witch you are. Do what you've got to do. Just take the next right step. All right. So let's uh, jump back to uh, the last interpretation that I have set for us, actually, which is uh, the idea of the story as a travel into fairy. And listening to the story for a long time, I've thought that it had similarities with uh, Celtic fairy lore and um, an example of like the Imram tradition where there they're in the ocean, not in the forest, but they, tr they sail to various islands and some of those islands might be filled with uh, cathedrals made of glass or where everything is gold. And what, uh, what struck me about comparing that and Hansel and Gretel is to these sailors, uh, especially in the time period, um, the the cathedral made made of glass you know it's this idea of ideal purity or or gold material wealth these are children and they're starving so what means most to them is bread and candy and that's when <laughs> that's where they arrive you know they don't care about gold um, but in the text and in, in even in the german text the word for the witch who traps them is Hexen, it's witch. But in general, in European folklore, when you go further and further and back, the line between witch and fairy gets really, uh, really vague. And oftentimes it might just be sorceress and you don't know if they're talking about a fairy or, or a witch. Um, so there's, to me, there is an idea of them traveling into fairy 
and meeting a malevolent fairy. Um, and in the in the uh, practices that I was taught, we would look for a boundary guardian, and we would leave we would leave offerings, whether that be something shiny, a corn or a coin, excuse me, or an offering of food or meal, and maybe inadvertently, but they do that in this tale. They leave both shiny things and they leave offerings of food in the forest. And then in through their wandering, they do get led into the path of the Fae. And um, we we can talk about what happens there. Um, and then funny enough, when they leave, it's through it, it's a different environment now there's now there's a lake that we haven't seen before you know and they're back to the father's house in you know in an afternoon instead of three days which again very very common in travels and ferry where you can be wandering for years um any other thoughts about about this as a tale of ferry abduction or or lot uh, lost travels in ferry well also in a lot of ferry travels sleep has to do with it so them falling asleep by the fire. Yes. And I meant to mention that with the with the initiation, even because the mother specifically says, now lay down by the fire. And and Sleep. this idea of having to prostrate yourself. I it's so funny because I was just talking to somebody the other day about time lost, right? Like when we're going through life like zombies. You know, just going through the motions and going through the motions, and then suddenly we have an aha moment and an awakening of sorts. And thank God is for the more you have them, the more you have them, right? Like the awakenings keep happening. And you just remind me of that. You know, how many times I have been lost, me, Laura? You know, I've been lost in the woods and without any consciousness until something happened. I encounter my own personal witch and. A sacrifice needs to happen. Uh, mm -hmm. Leaving something shiny behind you, leaving a little piece of yourself that no longer serve you. What a great offering to whether it is a fairy or a witch or a entity of the woods. And then coming out of it with new abilities, or more riches, etc. Um, the offerings the offerings that we give when we don't know that we're lost and then we find ourselves in the crossroads and it's like, I have to give something to get out of here, you know? So thank you for bringing that into the consciousness. Yeah, and thank you for mentioning sacrifice. So, because sometimes it's not only offering, but things are things that are more painful are taken as well. So I, I just, one well, leading off sacrifice, um, though, though remembering like, or at least for me, uh, sacrifice is always a transmutation, transmuting of energy or transmuting of, right. It's, it's appreciating the infinite that's in us, but then knowing what needs to be, you know, released so that a different part of the, of the infinity can bring manifest forth. Right. Um, and, and talking about, uh, you know, when we find those palaces, et cetera, on our path of always knowing that there's always a mystery about them, it seems in the tales, right? We we know with the the gingerbread, uh, 
uh, you know, the mystery of the witch that's inside. Uh, for the celestial cities, you know, well, that's the home of the Demiurge. And so, you know, pushing back that mystery of he's not really the creator, he just thinks he is, right? And so always to go deeper and deeper and deeper until we're completely, you know, enfolded in ourselves and in the mystery. As far as as far as fairy travels, we of course also have the fact that they're ensnared by food, which I'm never sure if I really believe or not. But <laughs> that is that is the folklore. Don't eat the fairy food. Um, well, just like you are what you eat, right? It's that sense of of once you consume it, then you have aspects of it, you know. Because oh, in the in the Greek myth of, of of Persephone and Hades, right? That's why we have six because she ate six six pomegranate seeds, right? So I think that's that's the gist of of um you become you you take on some of the essence of that other realm and consequently you be you come under the contractual agreements or the or the universal laws of that realm. And uh and by de facto that 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 initiation um those edges then get blurred right because as you as you pass beyond the forest power never fully leaves you. So you're bringing that forest into the urban realm. And I think that's that's one reason why there's that fear because there is the intuitive sense of others that haven't been initiated that you're different. And that's a threat. And, uh, and that returns us to where we have to affirm ourselves when we go out into the big bag world that we, we hold ourselves as we are witches. We, we hold wisdom. And we must speak that truth and never let that truth be silenced again when we go back out in the real world. And I was going to say, um, sorry, Dave, I kind of spoke over you earlier. Um, the, the aspects of the food, right? In folk magic, at least in the Mexican folk magic from the central area of Mexico, we witches, like, you don't eat from anybody else. Period. And Aaron knows me too well. And he knows like it took me a while to to like eat. I mean, we partake and everything, but like, you know, like I don't easily eat other people's food. And thank God is now I have the excuse of saying I'm vegan, so I cannot eat it. Uh, but it's rooted deeply on folk magic in the sense that you don't eat anything that you don't know how it was prepared or where it was prepared or who prepared it or what intention they have when they were preparing this food. Now I'm not saying don't ever eat from your friends or whatever, but be mindful, <laughs> you know? Cause there is that aspect of the folk magic and um, and then practicality, you know, like allergies and all that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, that is rooted very much on, on my upbringing of Mexican folk magic that you don't eat understand coming from a southern background same thing you go to a potluck people aren't going to eat just anybody's food i mean and you know that had to come from some kind of appalachian magic you're not going to touch what somebody's made because you don't know what's gone into it yeah and it's funny because in mexican culture that is a very common place to share food and to get together and to eat together and i I being Mexican, I never partake in that. It was seen as, you know, like you're not appreciating our culture. And it's like, no, I'm appreciating that I'm a witch. <laughs> I'm not gonna eat your food, you know. Uh, 
but yeah that is something that i learned very very young from my mom because you know she believed in that and so i never ate anybody's food there is a lot of power and because we are what we eat you know i love this idea of bringing some of that back with you into the world my purpose uh, as a witch and I, I i don't think everyone would agree with this but mine is i say i'm, I'm trying to bring uh reunite the world, bring a little more enchantment into the everyday world, which is again why why uh, I have us all here today. This is one aspect of that. Um, so I, yeah, I love the idea of bringing a little bit of that gift back into the real world. Does anyone have any other any any other thoughts about the tale that we haven't discussed yet? One of the things that struck me is the burning of the witch at the end. And if you look at Hansel and Gretel, and we were talking about sacrifice earlier. You have to move that thing that's holding you back out of the way. The witch was holding them captive. She had it done away with. That's the only way they could escape. That's the only way that they could move forward. That witch had to be destroyed. And we have to do the same thing with the things within ourselves that hold us back. We've got to get rid of it, let what's in us that can flourish, prosper, move forward. And that's when the treasure, the pearls, the wisdom comes in. Do we feel like we need to uh, have justice for the witch that she was done wrong as fellow witches? Or can we look at her metaphorically as, as the unwanted forces? represented in the, you know, in the way they were represented for that time period. For me, as we are, and, and this brings me back to that anecdote, right? When you took me to the planet right. and then I'm like, oh, wait, you're going to like it, you're going to like it. And then they killed the witch. And I don't know if you remember, but I turned around to you and I'm like, what? You know, <laughs> and I use more, uh, I, you know, language was not just what, there was what the, no. um, but but now when you put on the when you when you read the mention of you know the mother send them to the woods and then the ma the mother i see it as the mother is the witch um the mythos of the goddess and creation is such that she says you know eat from me mother earth says eat from me for i will eat you later so I think it's part of the cycle of nature. Um, and then on the times that this was written, right? Uh, like David said, it was you know heavily politically heavy, uh, misogynistic, etc. If it was written on this day and age, it wouldn't be a witch, it will be a politician, right? It will be like, let's eat the rich. So, that timing, I guess, for the witch. <laughs> exactly. And, and looking at the times, church was very influential back then. Their view on magic was horrible. So to them, this was a way of saying, let's get rid of that. That's how you can do that. So either metaphorical or, I mean, it's still going to be a reflection of the times. Dave, do you want to uh, give us a little meditative practice that we can use to center ourselves within this tale? Sure. 
So within this, the big thing for me was the path, the journey. Where are you on your journey, your path? Have you veered off into the wilder places searching for sweeter but more adventurous magic? Or have you lost your way? Have you forgotten what called you to witchcraft in the beginning? Are you seeking more? Take this time to visualize the path before you. Where do you see yourself? Where do you want to see yourself? What steps are necessary to get there and what obstacles must you remove? Just with Hansel and Gretel, you're stronger than you think and can defeat anything that is out to do you harm or keep you from your full potential. Empower yourself, my magical folk. The path may be hard and the challenge is hard, but the magic in you is stronger. Be the witch, warlock, cunning man or woman, the god or goddess or druid that you are, that you're called to be. Thank you. Uh, one aspect of working with these texts as sacred texts is that we can perform bibliomancy with them. And for those who are not familiar with bibliomancy, this is where you choose a line from the text, sometimes a word, sometimes a phrase or a full passage, and divine this, how it can affect your current life, what it can portend for your future, or what meaning it can have to you spiritually. Laura is a very gifted psychic and diviner, and so I've asked her to uh, perform a little bibliomancy or libromancy from this tale for us. Thank you, Erin. I um, I did it even in a way that it incorporates my love to uh, for technology. So for those who may be curious, how am I doing this? I have the document with the whole tale fairy tale open, and I'm. Uh, put in a search word uh, screen here. And so now I'm going to type a letter. And that was not a letter. That was a dot okay, <laughs> on top of the letters. So I'm going to type a letter and let's see what is the first word with that letter. And it happens to be fairy. <laughs> I click on R and it chooses the word fairy. And I'm gonna go with that. So what comes to mind is the realm of the fairy and the fairy tales and very much what you were saying, Erin, um, as the fairy was the witch and the, the name's kind of like, it's a little muddy, the further back that you go. Um, to be unafraid of your own fairy self. Um, to understand that the fairies as we were sold into them with beautiful wings and beautiful bodies and sparkles are not the only kind of fairies that exist. That diversity and multi-dimensional fairies exist and that they are all amazing and awesome and needed to be embraced you know and that all of the different layers that we saw in this tale right there's so much i don't think we break it up not even half so to continue I, and how fitting for the first episode that the word is fairy right so uh, for everybody to continue on this journey with us or to continue on their journey by themselves and to not be afraid of what is in the woods because where there's fear 
first power. Yeah, that's a, that's that's perfect for our first episode and for us to not be afraid of our own power and our own righteous survival mechanisms and anger, even if we are the big bad witch um, or perceived as such. Um, we could keep talking about this and I invite all uh, the, the three of you, if you have further insights, post them, we'll keep sharing them, we'll keep the discussion going and all the listeners as well, if you have other takes or wanna push back or, or, or even expand on some of the ideas that we discussed in this episode, go ahead and put them in the comments and talk to us about it. Um, does anybody have any upcoming classes or events that you wanna talk about? Uh, Laura? Always, always. <laughs> so I am doing a series for the whole year of 2023, a series on spells. So uh, the first class already happened on candle spells. That was a January class. Uh, it can be purchased. People can purchase a recording of the class. Uh, the next class that is coming is on love spells. So the whole year is going to be any different kind of spells. Uh, February is love spells. That is going to happen on February 12th. And you can go to Eventbrite and find uh, Love Spells with Laura Gonzalez. Um, tickets are very, very affordable for people. I want people to come to the class. So $25 a ticket. And also if you're local to Chicago, the Chicagoland area, and on February 19th, I will be holding a new moon ceremony slash workshop slash class at Maliway Brothers, uh, right off the Morse red line on the north-ish side. I can't remember the name of the neighborhood. I think it's Highland Park, um, but I'm not sure. Uh, right off the Morse red line. And that is gonna be from five to seven on Sunday, February the 19th. And uh, same ticket is $25. And we're gonna be focusing on goddess lore and specifically goddess Venus and the lore of the new moon and all that good stuff about venus and also i'm always doing classes and workshops and whatnot and podcasts and of course this and mystic chat and etc 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 so find me on all socials care by laura gonzalez or laura gonzalez or uh instagram is magia cerati and uh if you cannot find me on the interweb is because you're not looking hard enough so i'm very on the ball Thank you, Aaron. Uh, Kamian, why don't you tell us a little bit about your work with Heart Song? And I don't know if you're open to, if anyone was intrigued enough by the idea of Hermetic Kabbalah here, if you are open to teaching classes or one-on-ones with them, why don't you let us know? Okay. Uh, so one of my major projects these days is uh, Heart Song, which is meditating on the heart chakra on the quarter moons. Uh, it's the idea that if on the dark moons, our energies are focused at the root chakra and the full moons are focused on the crown chakra, then where would we reside? On the uh, the heart chakra is where the quarter moons would lie. Uh, and for me, a challenge that we have as humans to move forward to our next step is really balancing that heart center of um, the, the shift between the lower heart that is focusing on our communities, on our nationalities, et cetera, those conflicts going on with our higher selves that's coming down, which of course doesn't have the full perspective of, of being in a human body. So utilizing Kabbalistic and um, 
I call it ontological magic techniques. Uh, we work and we we balance all of our various bodies uh, in our heart center. And that's a free meditation I have on Zoom calls, 7 p.m. Central Time. Uh, the next coming up is January 28th and then February 13th and February 27th. Uh, you can find me uh, as lovejoybliss.me on Instagram or Facebook. Also, my website is lovejoybliss.me. Uh, and I'll be posting the Zoom links there and just come join for an hour. And uh, after we do the basic meditation of balancing, usually then I'll bring up a technique or I'll, I'll invite a guest to talk about what they're bringing to the world in their own heart space. Uh, certainly, I uh, would be open if anyone's interested in, in doing introduction Kabbalah and some of my more advanced techniques. I'm totally open to that. Uh, and I, I will be probably releasing hopefully a book being magic later this year. So thank you for having me, Aaron. Thank you. Um, Dave, what kind of work are you doing with your clients? I am actually in the process of getting a few courses together. Um, the first of which is called Poking the Sleeping Lion, um, Walking Your Path to Power. Um, I've also got Awakening the Child Within, and, and that's exploring fun and magic. Because I think that we've gotten are too serious sometimes. And then one of the other courses is the wild path, and this is reinventing men's magic. Um, but I also am in the process of writing a book. Um, and it's definitely a labor of love. Uh, and that is uh, essentially my life as a southern witch. Um, and it's called the simple magic of wild things. We've got some interesting and fun projects in the works. That's wonderful. Um, I'm Fredder Aaron. You can find me on Instagram uh, under this storybook podcast. Um, this is my project for right now and taking up as much time as I'm willing to give. But check out fellowshipofthephoenix.org. We do not discriminate, but we were specifically designed for the queer community and the queer neo-pagan community. Um, with that... Again, leave us all your all your thoughts to keep the discussion going, and we look forward to talking to you again soon.